0: We are starting a new series together called When People Meet Jesus, and the idea of the whole series that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks is what happens the first time someone comes in contact with Jesus, and we'll be looking at all different types of people and the situations that they're in because, I don't know, it just feels like the more and more I'm walking around the world that I live in, I'm running into people who have no idea who Jesus is. And it's interesting, the first time someone comes in contact with Jesus, I think we can learn a lot from that. And so I, I really, really am looking forward to this. And one of the things I enjoy about Easter, it's actually, I enjoyed about a lot of holidays, is when families begin to get together. Friends begin, you know, come together to celebrate. And it's really interesting. How many of you are hosting this weekend? You know, you've, you've picked that tab up. Okay, a couple of you. Um, maybe you're sitting at home uh, online right now, and that's why you're online. You're like, the ham can't burn, okay? I'm not leaving it on. And so it's always interesting when we begin to host something. And if you're going to someone's house, uh, then you know that they've done things to get ready for you to be there, haven't they? Right? This is when you're trying to figure out. When you host, what happens before? you got to figure out what you're making, who's making what. You start to divvy things out and make sure that it's all good. You know last-minute changes are coming, so you're like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? How do we figure this thing out? Um, it, it's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. You know when you got to deep clean the house? You gotta do the, you, you, you're doing the cleaning that no one else really expects, and you're thinking, if someone looks under the couch, they don't deserve to be called family. Right, like just leave my house if you're gonna check under there. And I always hated it when I was a kid when my mom would be like, "We need to clean the house. People are coming over." And and I loved that we always had people in our house, but I hated having to clean because I'm like, "It's my room. Leave it alone." And I'll tell you, uh, Mom, I'm sorry I did that. Because Eileen, I'm sorry. I'm still the same way. Listen, I got three teenagers in my house. If you come over, the bathroom's gonna be dirty and their rooms are gonna be messy. That's just the way it is. Um, I'm not not sad about that at all. It's just kind of the way it is. But it is interesting, isn't it? When people are coming over, we try to kind of make our house look pretty good. And so you're cleaning up things. Maybe you take out your nice vases and you're gonna put some flowers in them and be like, okay, here we go. And, And you're gonna get ready so that we look good when people show up. We want them to know that we've prepared for them, but we also kind of put on a little bit of a front, like our house might be this clean usually, and we always have fresh flowers in our home. It's, it's, it's a Sunday, right? But the reality is, it's not reality, huh? Most of us, we all do this. We work so hard when people come over so that they'll see the best that we have to offer and the problem that we have is that it doesn't just apply to our parties and our houses. How, how many of us battled this morning to try to get your kid to wear something decent, right? Just not sweatpants today. You know, you can't go to church in your pajamas this morning. Every other Sunday is fine, unless you're watching at home, then you're jammed up. Great, no one knows, right? But listen... We, we do this. We have it happen in our families. We have it happen with what we wear, with what we present at our homes. And I believe that many of our lives honestly look like this, that, that we're always trying to put on a smile and come across, put together, look, this is the best I have to offer, when in reality we feel like this, where there's much more of like, oh, this is a little banged up. There's some holes in this. And, and I don't want you to see this side of it Or or that's, you know, um, we'll just maybe, we'll hide it behind, or we won't use that one that's broken. But we try to do this with our life all the time. Sometimes I think that we aim to protect ourselves by trying to look put together when we are just not. Anybody not put together here besides me today? I put my suit jacket on and realized I forgot I busted a button on the top and never fixed it. So yeah, it's just sitting over there like, Why not? Listen, we're not nearly as put together as we think or as we present. And the truth is, we are messed up. All of us are. Happy Easter. Isn't that the, the message you were expecting today? Right? We all know this. We do. We know it about ourselves. We know it about each other. But for some reason, we still try to cover it all up. And. and This is what I love about Easter. You know what Easter tells me? The story of this weekend, the story that we celebrate about Jesus gives us a different option than trying to put on a happy face, than trying to present the best of what we think people want from us. The idea that we are celebrating this weekend that changes everything is that I believe that God wants to use our brokenness to be a blessing to others. God wants to use our brokenness to be a blessing to others. And I think that this is true for every single one of us here because I see this in the life of Jesus himself, the life of my Savior. And today, what I would love to do is to look at what happened when a simple centurion meets Jesus. The first time that he meets Jesus, when people meet Jesus, what happens when the centurion next to the cross meets Jesus? And before we jump into the passage that Bincy read for us from Mark chapter 15, And if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Mark 15. Um, Let me set this passage up for you just a little bit. Uh, Jesus has been going around city to city for almost three years at this point. People are all sorts of enamored with him. And he's had this huge gathering. People are following him. He's preaching and teaching in a brand new way that people are not familiar with, and they love it. And then he's doing all these miracles of feeding people, healing people, delivering them from demons that they have inside them. And and he's preaching a message of love, repentance, forgiveness. He starts to frustrate people when he begins to love the unlovable, when he begins to heal the sick and he begins to tell people that they're forgiven when everyone in the culture says, you don't forgive people like that. Needless to say, Jesus, in the three years leading up to that passage, has completely disrupted the culture. He has, he has messed with what the norm is in Israel, and the Jewish leaders of Israel at that time have put up for, with him for three years, and they are frustrated. They're frustrated. And so they conjure up a plan to make sure that they can get him arrested and ultimately try to get him killed by the Romans. And when they execute their plan, things get real crazy real quick. Jesus goes under like four different trials in in a very short period of time. He he first with the religious leaders, then to Pilate. Then Pilate's like, I don't know what to do with you. I'm sending you to Herod. And Herod's like, "Uh, defense, back to you. And, and throws it back, and then they're like, oh, what are we supposed to do with this? All along the way, Jesus is being mocked. He's being beaten. He's being ridiculed until finally he was sentenced to be crucified. And this is a Roman—I'm going to use the word here, but you're going to have to bear with me for a second. The, it's an art, the way that they did this. They had crafted with such detail the way to painfully bring someone to the closest point of death without killing them, And then, that was the goal, it's like, don't kill them, just really bring them that much pain, and then let them suffocate to death on a cross, and I I won't go into the details of how it's done, but they had crafted it so meticulously that it was a point of execution they were not even allowed to use on other Roman citizens. It was that bad. But that Jewish guy, oh, this is, we, we do this all the time crucifixions were so regular there's uh, records of hundreds if not thousands of crucifixions that would happen in a day because they were trying to prove points to the people that they ruled we win you lose we're making a point don't mess with us and so it was horrific horrific the bottom line is this as we move into this passage a week ago jesus came into a city where he was deeply celebrated by all these people and they were excited And then it turns so quickly. And seven days later, as he's being beaten to a pulp, these same people, or I won't say all the same people, because I don't think everybody jumps in. I think there's a lot of the same people who say, yeah, enough, enough, enough's enough with this guy. Go ahead and crucify him. 11 of his closest friends, gone. They completely ditched him. Every one of them deserted, one kind of hung on and watched from a distance. He's busted, he's bruised, and then they make him carry that final instrument to, the cr- to the, his execution, which was a hundred pound crossbar. And even that he can't do. And when he's Finally finished with that burdensome task, he's up on a hilltop, he's nailed into this cross, and that is the point in Mark 15 where we read in verse 33. Now this is in the afternoon. It says, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, read this with me. Surely this man was the son of God. Let's read that again. Surely this man was the son of God. At the end of this passage, we discover a man who had never met Jesus before. He may have been familiar with his story or that guy who's causing problems, but he did not know who Jesus was. He's just going to work. That's what his day was. He's doing his centurion guard thing, and when he's tasked that morning with watching the most influential man in the world, your job, watch him die, and don't let anybody kill him sooner than they should. That's a wild day at work, isn't it? But that's what he woke up to do. After Jesus is, is nailed to the cross, it's about noon, and this passage is kind of weird. If you read all of it, it's really weird. At noon, it goes dark for three hours. That'd be kind of weird. Would you re- agree? Right, so you go to work to watch people die all the time as a centurion, and all of a sudden it's dark for three hours at, like, the peak of the day in the Middle East? That's odd. That's odd. That's not normal, unnatural. That's eerie darkness. Come on, he had done this job so many times before. My guess is he was very good at his job, and that's why he was picked to guard this guy. He stands there from noon to three in darkness. I wonder what's going through his mind. I do this all the time when I read the Bible. I read about people and I go, What were they thinking? How did they, they manage this? He's sitting there, it's dark, and for three hours people are watching this guy die on a cross, and all that while they're just throwing insults at him, they're mocking him. I mean, I, I'm sure he's heard that stuff before, right? And he's like, yeah, good, let him have it, let him have it. But he's sitting there, now it's dark, and what do you do when that crowd is a little more hostile than normal, right? These people just wanted to kill him before, now... You know, it's him and his boys that are surrounding the cross going, you could say what you want, but you can't come any closer. What if they start to get riled up again? What if they start to, to, to really start to press in on him? What's he going to do? I have no idea. But I am sure that he looked at this dying man on a cross and heard all the insults and went, I wonder when he's going to talk back to them. I wonder when he's going to spit back something. And you know what Jesus does? he doesn't spit back the same mockery that comes towards him. I imagine this centurion looking up at a beaten, bloodied pulp of a body who's got this hazy look in his eyes at this mob of people who are yelling at him and he takes a breath to pray and he doesn't pray, God, get them. God, Smack them down. God, let your fire fall and consume these jerks. I bet you this was the first time this centurion heard a man in his dying breath say, God, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He prays that God would forgive his attackers. That's an odd day at work when you are a Roman guard. Who does that? Who does that? When's the last time he heard that? I mean, I'm sure he's usually hearing, I'm not guilty, I didn't do it, this is a sham, all the excuses, and and like, wait, it's dark and now you're praying for forgiveness? How can someone in their brokenness be such a blessing to someone else? How can that happen? And, and it's funny because that's not the only conversation the centurion heard. The centurion is there and he's guarding not just Jesus, but two thieves or, um, you know, they're, they're like rebels that are next to him. And they start having a conversation because they're both guilty. They know they're guilty. And one of them starts throwing this garbage at Jesus being like, yeah, sucker, you're with us and like, you should be able to do this. You should be able to get off the cross. You're better than that. Like, come on. And, and yet the other that's on the other side of Jesus is like, whoa, 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 slow your horses, man. Check out verse 39. It says that one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Talking about the other criminal. He says, don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. We're punished justly for what we're, and we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. At the very end of his life, Jesus in complete brokenness does not just say leave me alone. He meets someone who says, I want to come with you. I want to have what you have. He doesn't fight or yell at the first criminal who's throwing garbage at him. He doesn't try to justify himself. He just looks at the second criminal who understands what he's done wrong and says, would you come with me? And you have to remember above Jesus at this point is a nailed sign that says, King of the Jews. And he says, would you come to, would you remember me in your kingdom? Come, come to my kingdom. What a moment and a picture of God's grace for us today when we look at this. And I guarantee you, this was the first time the centurion had ever heard that kind of conversation staring at a sign of a king inviting a criminal into his kingdom and paradise right after he sat in a place of saying would you forgive these people they don't understand while he's sitting in complete darkness and brokenness and this man chooses to use his brokenness to be a blessing to the people who are around him remember God wants to use our brokenness to be a blessing to others. After all of this, the centurion, a highly qualified, seasoned professional, he looks up at Jesus and he knows this is not like any other person that they have ever crucified in all the crucifixions that they've done. And this is radically different. And in verse 37, this is when we hear him cry. He exclaims, it's big, it's bold. In verse 37, it says, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And, and then the earth shook in Matthew 27 and the rocks split, the tombs are broken open. Now, oh, it's been dark. It's been crazy. Jesus is crying his last breaths, and everything around is going crazy after all of that situation. I'm telling you now, If if the centurion's watching this going, this was different, now this is all different, what did I say yes to this morning? Why did they call me to this? It gets uncommonly dark. He's hung on the cross, he's praying for people, and at death's doorstep, beaten, broken, bruised, humiliated, he's done. And both Matthew and Mark tell us that when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. I don't think this is a passing remark. I don't think this is some casual statement. This paid warrior who's seen hundreds of people crucified stands in front of this crucifixion and says, this is so different. This guy is the son of God. He's proclaiming a truth that everyone else around was missing. Something that simply said, this man is set apart. He is different. This is not just a man. This is the son of God. And here's what I love about the centurion. He did not discover Jesus through Jesus' great teachings. He didn't discover Jesus through Jesus' massive miracles. Do you know how he came to understand Jesus as the son of God? In Jesus' death. There's no resurrection at this point. There's no pretty ending. We always jump to Sunday because we're so uncomfortable with Friday. We love to celebrate the resurrection. We hate to talk. Good Friday. I don't wanna I don't. What makes this so good? Because even in Jesus' brokenness, a man can stop and say, that right there, that's so different. This is the Son of God. He is different, and it's in Jesus' brokenness that this man receives his blessing. Let's be real. They all questioned if Jesus was going to resurrect at this point, right? No one really knew. And even after his resurrection, three days later, we celebrate this. We're so excited about it. He resurrects, and he has this glorified body. His boys, his disciples are still a little uneasy, and they're like, yeah, I don't know if it's really you. So do you remember the, the, the question that one of them asks? Actually, they all ask it. We just pigeonhole one of them to see if it's the real Jesus. Do you remember the question they ask? Someone give it to me. Come on. Yeah, come on. Let me see the holes. Let me, let me see. sounds kind, of, kind of gross, doesn't it? Right? Well, in John chapter 20, this is what Jesus' best friend says. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors are locked, but suddenly as before Jesus was standing among them. Okay, that would have been sign number one. He's not here, now he's here. Okay, this is real. You can come, like, appear things. This is wild, right? But here we go. <laughs> Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into my wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Do you know what Jesus didn't choose to hide from his crucifixion? His brokenness. The very things that said, I'm a criminal up here on a cross, is the very things that he said to Thomas, you can be blessed. This is me. Even in his resurrected body, Jesus Christ does not hide. His brokenness. He puts it on display to encourage the disciples, to encourage his followers, and it's through his brokenness that they realize this is who Jesus really is. You see, I think the centurion and the disciples, they didn't realize who Jesus was because he looked like this because he had it all put together, because the house looked perfect, because all the decorations were there. Even under the couch was clean, behind the fridge, everything was perfect, and everyone looked, their clothes were pressed, they had all their buttons, they were put together, and man, surely that's the Son of God. The Jesus that they met was pierced and broken and bruised, all messed up. Actually, it seems like a useless vase, doesn't it? Who wants to put flowers in something with a bunch of holes in it? And so where does that leave us this morning? Simply because I think we spend so much time trying to look like this. We try to look put together. I think it's good that we care, but sometimes we try to come across as perfect, as having no brokenness, having no problems. When people come to our houses, we want it perfect. When they look at our kids, we want them to look great or have the best grades, be the best on a team. In our marriages, man, how are things? They're good. I hate my spouse right now. We're fighting. And it's like, what is going on? Why do we do this? We try to pretend that everything's put together. And the truth is, it's just not. And so... When we're sitting in a struggle like this, and we say, God, I'm exhausted. I feel broken, but I can't put my brokenness on display. People don't know what's going on, I can't handle this, would you help me? God, anybody else in here besides me, this is a confession, ever pray that God would help them look more put together than they feel at any given time? Oh, come on, right? Like, I'm, I'm a mess right now, and if Crossbridge knew that I was getting up on Sunday and, and Eileen and I got into a fight, or I yelled at my kids and might have cursed at them or something, they would, they would hate me, and it's like, the reality is, uh, God, help me look better than I am. And so if I can put on a happy face, I sit and say, Lord, fill me, fill me, fill me, and, and he does, and I'm like, okay, good, 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 but nothing's changed, has it? Nothing's changed. I'm still trying to look great. And I'll just sit and say, okay, I, that was refreshing. That felt great. Do you know where that leaves me now? Filled, which is awesome. Do you ever leave water in a vase with flowers? You never, you never go back to change it? What happens to it? Yeah, it's nasty. Like you could skim things off the top and probably sell it to a whole food store. Right? And you're like, oh, that looks like healthy. I'll sell it to people. Why not? If you do this, count me in, all right? If that water just sits, it begins to evaporate. It begins to lessen on its own just because of nature. And then you get that film and that nastiness and the flowers that you're hoping to keep so fresh begin to do what? They just begin to die because they need something fresh. They need to be trimmed. We need new water. I'm not sure where you are right now, and, and I want to encourage you by simply telling you today, no one expects you to be perfect. You may put that pressure on yourself, but I'm going to ask you to stop because I don't think that's the way Jesus wants us to come to him because that's not the way he came to us. He came as perfect But his life ended completely broken. And that's where the blessing lied. For not just me, but for so many around us. I I think that God actually wants us to look more like this. I think God wants us all banged up and bruised. And I know that that's probably really weird for some of you to hear this morning. You're coming on Easter and you're like, celebration, this is exciting, this is gonna be great, and we're gonna be pumped up. And and you're telling me to to be okay being broken and to being bruised and having all this stuff? Yes, I am. Welcome to Crossbridge. Welcome to Crossbridge, where we expect that you're messed up. We just expect it. Why? Because that's reality. You are broken. You are so broken. And there is nothing that you can do on your own to find healing. You can sit here and say, I'm going to fill up and and I'm going to be good to go. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Guess what? No, you can't. You can't. But in our brokenness, what's so great is we could say, God, fill me. Fill me in my brokenness. And what's your brokenness? What's it look like? I don't know. Maybe your brokenness this morning. Maybe it is your marriage that's where you're feeling so frustrated. Maybe it's the way your family looks right now that you never expected it to look like this. You never thought you'd be in this situation. Maybe it's something that happened when you were a kid that you still cannot get over. And you're thinking, I should be through this by now. Maybe it's a struggle that one of your kids is happening having and you're trying to hide it and being like, no one will understand, no one gets this. And yet there's so many parents around you going, I need someone to talk to about this. I don't know what to do. I'm just as confused. I have no idea. Maybe you're a teenager right now and your whole life feels broken. Your whole life feels like I have no idea who I am and everyone expects something of me. So I need to try to work harder to be put together so that the colleges accept me, so my parents get off my back, so that, you know, youth group, I seem like I'm coming together right now. Man, we are a mess, aren't we? what i love about the gospel of jesus is that we know that god uses our brokenness for what for a blessing and so when we wrestle with our own issues and say god i got i got a mess on my hands can you help me would you pour into me and you know what he does he pours in and as he pours in we begin to find that wait a second The very things that I thought disqualified me are the very things that are pouring out on the people around me. The stories that I'm trying to hide, the stories that I'm trying to say, I don't know what to do with this. God says, you don't have to. I could do far more through that than you could. Just trust me. Just trust me. If I can work in a centurion's life to say surely that man is the son of God, all that happened was that man pierced the side of Jesus and out poured blood and water to know that he was dead This man is God. This is the king. And so this morning, I just want to ask you, where are you? Are you trying to keep all put together on Easter and say, Look, look, I feel great and I look great, but on the inside you feel as stale and fill me off the top as possible. You don't have to pretend anymore. You don't have to. And I'm not saying go share all your brokenness with everybody. That that would be a whole different kind of nightmare. Amen? No one wants that. But stop trying to be perfect. There's only one perfect human who ever lived, and he died so that we could be broken. He was broken for our healing. We believe that Christ can bring healing to your brokenness I say that, I believe it at the core of who I am because I would not be the man I am today without him. When I met Jesus, I was as broken as could be. I still am, but boy, has he brought healing to my life in ways that I wish I had time to tell you. Let's get coffee, I would love to tell you. He's changed my life. He can change yours too. But will you have the courage in front of a mocking crowd? in front of a giant group of people throwing insults at a man on a cross to say, surely this man is the son of God and I will trust that in his brokenness. He could do something with mine. And if you're like, but what does that mean? What do I do with this? I-, I get it. There's so much walking out of our faith that we take steps to look like Jesus in all different ways. And just because you trust him doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything gets plugged up. If you've followed Jesus for a long time, it's a long journey, isn't it? But it's so worth it. And so if you're here this morning, and you have not placed your hope in Jesus. I want to give you a chance to do that right now, to proclaim surely he's the son of God. And sometimes it's helpful if you've never spent that time praying or asking God to help you with anything other than to look good, then let me pray, and if you would just follow along, you can pray with me. And why don't we all just pray together? So this way, if there's someone who's like, I'm uncomfortable, I want to do this, but I don't know, let's pray together. Would you follow me in prayer out loud this morning? Jesus, I need you. I'm broken. I need you. I trust you, Jesus, that you died for my sin, that you rose from the dead, and you paid the penalty for my sin. Would you fill me with the Holy Spirit, help me understand who you are, and take steps to look like you, God, help me have grace on myself, on those around me, so that I can love like you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer with us this morning, I would love if you would just find me afterwards, let me know, or drop it on the connect card that's there and put it in one of the boxes in the back to say, hey, I would love to figure out what walking looks like. And if you're here today and you follow Jesus as your savior, as your Lord, as your master, and you want to look like him, at Crossbridge, can you do me a favor if this is your home church? Can you be broken with me? And let our brokenness be the very thing that brings hope and healing. As we are being filled by the Holy Spirit, it would pour out to those around us and they would say, you're really messed up. And it's yes, but I am forgiven. Every day I lean on that. And this is the thing that we celebrate as a church every single week when we celebrate communion. If you're a guest with us, we celebrate communion every week because we believe the words of Jesus when he says, when you gather, every time you gather, eat and drink and remember me. So we remember him that when he was celebrating Passover, just like this Wednesday, when he was celebrating Passover, he made it to the third cup of the Passover Seder, which is the cup of redemption. And he said, this cup represents my blood. Which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins, that we've been redeemed, so when we mess up, we've been redeemed. That's the great news. And then he and he holds up bread for them and, and the bread that they would have that represented the slavery that they were in, that it was so fast that they had to leave. That they, there was no yeast, and so it was like we had to run out. And he says, Yeah, that story of you running, of trying to get out, of your rescue, that's the story of my body that will be broken. us in brokenness, we find healing, so we remember Jesus today through communion, and we have set up two communion tables in the front, one in the back as well, and we would encourage you, if you have placed your hope in Jesus, and your desire is to follow him, would you come and take communion together as a family, we surround the tables, and there's also some free package there, and it's all to be free, and if you um, have not trusted Jesus, we would encourage you, please, hang back, sit back, no one's gonna judge you, at we would encourage you to just kind of come back in this time. So would you stand with me? Jesus, thank you for blessing the cup, blessing the bread, saying this is my body and my blood. we eat together, drink together, celebrating and elevating your brokenness and your victory through resurrection. In Jesus' name.